We've got a mailbag episode coming up today. We'll talk about Matthew Wood and Gabe Perot's ceiling, some mid to late round potential steals, and our thoughts on some Habs defensemen. All coming up on today's show on Locked On NHL Prospects. You are Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to Locked On NHL Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On this podcast, we break down everything prospects related for you five days a week, Monday to Friday. I'm Hattie Kalakesh, joined by Sebastian High, and we've got a packed mailbag episode today. We'll start off by uh, discussing Matthew Wood and Gabe Perot's ceiling and projection, uh, how they end up being at the NHL level. Uh, we'll also talk about some mid to late round potential steals in our second segment, along with some Oilers prospects talk. And then we'll end things off with a couple of Habs defensemen that pr- probably everybody knows, and David Reinbacher and Lane Hudson. We'll talk about all that on today's episode. Before I get into any of that, though, make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube and leave us a comment letting us know what you think about the episode and what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. It's always very much appreciated. So stay tuned underscore hockey asks us, what are your thoughts on Matthew Wood and Gabe Perot's progression slash ceiling? Um, Do you want to get into that? I mean, we'll start with Gabe Perot, I guess. He's a very interesting project. He's fascinating. I mean, Gabe Perot was probably the player I watched the most tape of last year outside of Ottawa 67's players that I watched live all the time because yeah. I could not get a read on him in terms of projection. The, the The skill is obvious and the intelligence is really impressive and you notice that from the first viewing. Yeah. But uh, whether his overall toolkit and the habits he has and the way he plays the game are, were projectable to the NHL level took me about like 15 viewings to figure out, which is an yeah. absurd amount in terms of uh, our line of work in terms of uh, actually narrowing down what a prospect projects as. Uh, yeah. But in the end, I raised him up a decent amount up my draft board. I took a swing on the skill and uh, his start in college has uh, been excellent. And, uh, continuing playing with Will Smith and Ryan Leonard is obviously helping that transition be a lot smoother. He has familiarity there, yeah. and that line just works so tremendously well together. But I've been impressed with just how well Perot's adapted in terms of uh, finding ways to not get blown out of the water physically, and uh, not just in terms of running away from physical contact, but doing some smaller details I didn't see last year. I see him initiating contact a little bit more often. It's not the most effective thing with him, but there's an attempt there, and uh, I've seen progression in terms of his application of his physical tools and getting his center of gravity a bit lower to try to protect possession, and that all bodes quite nicely. But uh, the production's been great so far uh, with Boston College, and I'm very excited to see how he continues this season. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, he's fairly interesting in the sense that, you know, as much as we all liked um, the package of playmaking skill and intelligence, I don't think any of us had him pegged as a player who would be over an assist per game right now in the NCAA in his freshman year. No. I mean, it's just, he's got two goals, 15 assists for 17 points in 12 games. It's ridiculous production for a player who, you know, by all accounts is a very intelligent player and a very intelligent playmaker, but you know, 
obviously he's, he's a he's a player who exceeded um, Austin Matthews uh, totals in the in the NTDP in his draft year. Um, and that that's obviously something you can look at and be like, OK, that's fairly impressive. But yeah, this is this is next level. And I think playing with Will Smith um, and continuing that kind of chemistry really helps. I mean, that line was basically kept intact and it's been working really well for all three of them. I, I'm really impressed with what's been developing so far with him. Um, but yeah, do, do you feel like at the next level, as he reaches the NHL, are we still talking about a player who will continue to exceed expectations production wise, especially, you know, if he, once he's taken away from those two, you know, top end linemen with, with which he's been playing for the longest time, like, do you feel like, you know, we could see a Gabe pro can, you know, build chemistry in, in, in a different way with a different set of line mates, um, you know, in an NHL top six, or is that the type of thing that, cause I, I'm still on the fence on that regard, honestly, like I, I'm still yeah. hesitating for that. Yeah. I think if he does, it will be as a tertiary piece. I think that that's yeah. where he shines brightest is when he gets the fewest puck touches of his line, uh, but is con- like, like whenever he does have the puck, he's always looking to, uh, get it onto his line I mean, sticks, trying to get them into space, trying to basically create space for them to execute high-end plays. And yeah. despite his really high-end handling skill and whatnot, he's really at his best off puck. And I think that if he can find uh, himself a line at the NHL level inside a top six where he can play that specific role with line mates that are near his level in terms of processing speed and uh, vision on the ice, then yeah. I think there's definitely a chance for him to, to solidify himself in that type of role. I think the situation would have to be quite beneficial and comfortable for him to kind of optimize the chances of that happening. But I, I can see it. I think like the reason I ranked him a bit higher uh, towards the end of my draft wars compared to early on the season was really because I, I, I was becoming more and more convinced of the likelihood of top six upside here uh, yeah. because I, I don't think Gabe Perot is going to be a, a bottom six piece. He's not going to be particularly impactful in that kind of role, but inside a top six, uh, I can, I, I can see it happening and I'm, I'm st- I can't, still can't say I'm tremendously confident that it will occur, but yeah. I, I'm more optimistic now than I was six months ago, and I was more optimistic six months ago than I was a year ago. So the progression the progression curve here has been promising, and we'll see if it continues on this pace as the year, as the year continues. Yeah, and that that helps us pivot to Matthew Wood, uh, who's got six goals, five assists for 11 points in 14 games so far with the University of Connecticut. Um, UConn's a different is, is this a, is a, it's a decent program I feel for Matthew Wood. It's it's a program where he can kind of unlock certain areas of his game that I think need to be unlocked. Like obviously we all know the skating needs to work up. I mean, he's, he's a fairly big body that doesn't move all that fast. Um, reminds yeah. me a bit of a kind of Tyler Toffoli mold of player. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, you know, if you can work some of the finer elements of, you know, inside driving and, you know, playing inside contact and, you know, not relying on your size, I feel like UConn's a, is in a decent enough division that he can work on these things. Um, the progression for me seems pretty linear, um, and the path is also very linear to the NHL. Um, he seems like a very middle six kind of, you know, sniping force on the line type of player um, with decent defensive uh, defensive upside. I mean, you're looking at a player who's going to be able to impact the game in all three zones. You look at it. You're looking at a player who, you know, is already well set to be kind of a, a an above average physical presence on the ice. Um, 
And, you know, the positioning is really good with him, which is basically what you want to see from a player who's got bad skating is, you know, you at least want him to be ahead of the play positionally. And Wood definitely is. Um, so I'm excited to see how that kind of develops with him and how he progresses because the, the Preds have a really good prospect here. I mean, he's a he's a type of player who you can pretty much immediately visualize being a middle six winger. So I'm I'm fairly interested to see if that kind of if his progression grows beyond that. But as long as he stays on this kind of linear path in terms of progression, I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, but yeah, we got another question regarding Mikhail Gulyayev. Um basically asking us what our vision is for Guliaev, what our, what our idea of his progression will be. Um, that comes from two pigeons and a puck. Um, how do you see Mikhail Guliaev's, Guliaev's development slash path going? Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, Guliaev is a tremendously mobile and skilled offensive defenseman, but uh, we saw a lot more of him uh, from him like last season towards the beginning of the year than later on. There are some really consistent bright flashes in like from September through November, and then it kind of petered out uh, for the rest of the draft year. And I think that that resulted in him falling on quite a few boards and uh, at the actual draft. But mm-hmm. I, I, I like him quite a bit. I think that this is a player with a decent enough shot at being a puck moving p- uh, player on a second pairing. Uh, I don't think the top pairing upside is is particularly uh, likely at this at this stage. But uh, he could he could quarterback a first power play uh, if he continues to progress well, if he keep, keeps getting those reps, uh, because he's deceptive, he's intelligent, he distributes the puck well in the offensive zone. I, I, I like him. Uh, the defensive game still needs work for sure uh, before that happens, but he's, been, he's already played 32 KHL games this season. He's averaging around like 13 minutes a night recently so he's getting he's getting game time against professional competition uh in one of the better leagues in the world and i i think that 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 does his development a lot of good so i i think that his his path it will take him a couple years before he hits the nhl he definitely needs another like two to three years before before being an impactful nhler but when he does uh make that leap i think that he can jump onto a second pairing and for Colorado, he, he seems like a very natural Sam Girard replacement long-term. Absolutely. And that wraps things up for our first segment. And we'll talk about some mid to late round potential steals for the 2024 NHL draft in our second segment, along with some Oilers prospects talk. But first, a quick word from our sponsors here at Locked On NHL Prospects. All right, so moving on to our second segment, we'll talk about some, uh, first and foremost, we'll talk about some uh, mid to late round steals. EIHL underscore analysis asks us, who are your favorite mid to late round potential steals of the 2024 NHL draft? Um, I know you have a name already. Uh, Do you want to bring him up right now? I have one name. Like, it's still early on the season for mid to late round steals. I'm still figuring out who I want in my top couple of rounds before I can figure out who's going to be in the mid rounds. But uh, Frankie Morelli is a player I've liked quite a bit in my Ottawa viewings. I liked him last Mm -hmm. year as well. The mobility is pretty impressive for a left shot defenseman. Uh, He's he's quarterback, the top power play when Henry Muse has been out with injury this season and looked pretty decent while doing it. He's not nearly as creative or dynamic as Muse is. But he's a decent distributor of the puck. He uses his mobility to change angles and to 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 just 
shift defensive structures, especially on the power play. He likes to use that lateral motion, and uh, especially along the point. He's a bit static in terms of uh, like activating inside the offensive zone, but yeah. especially in transition, I think this is an interesting player. I've seen flashes of him using his skating really, really, really well defensively yeah. against the rush. He can match footwork really easily. Uh, and I, I've liked what I've seen so far with, with, with uh, Morelli. Uh, I think as far as like mobile OHL defensemen go this season that aren't projected to go really high, he's one of my favorite ones. But uh, yeah. that that that's kind of one name I've gotten there. But uh, it's still so early in this draft cycle to be talking about the the the, the steal. At least from my end, like I have so many players to survey. Like I think for regional scouts, it might be a bit easier to to pinpoint those steals because you've watched a sample that includes the entire range of the draft and. I've been trying yeah. to desperately check off all the top names, but uh, yeah, for I sure. think Morelli is my my preliminary candidate for that for that spot. Absolutely, I've got two names, and I think one of them might just end up being in the first two rounds. Um, first, Landon Resendez, uh, I think, out of uh, Cedar Rapids, is looking really good so far. He's the production hasn't been all there; it's about a half point a game on a kind of weaker program, but. Um, I really like the offensive skill, the ability to to find lanes to shoot through, the ability to push inside lanes. Even though it's like five nine a buck sixty, I've been fairly impressed with the uh, with the skill level. Um, and on the other hand, I have Camille Bednarik out of the uh, NTDP program, who I think is probably going to be a top two rounder. But if yeah. he does end up in that mid to mid round range, I think would be a really interesting option. Um, in terms of production, he's about a point per game um, with the UNT with the NTDP. And despite that, what really stands out to me is this defensive savvy. He's able to get in lanes. He's able to um, understand in advance what his opponents are going to do and kind of get in the right lanes on time. So, yeah, I think the, the progression will be interesting throughout this year. Um, he, he's a player I would definitely push for in the second round, maybe even the early second round. But um, I'm not sure. You know, this this year is a pretty off year for um, for the NTP outside yeah. of. Iserman and Hudson. I don't think there's a lot to talk about there. Even if you take into consideration EJ Emery, Will Scahan, it's still a comparatively weak draft. Especially if you look at last year where they had, you know, one of the best lines in all of junior yeah. hockey on top of having some really good defensemen. I mean, it's just, um, it, it's, it's a, it's a weird year for the NTDP, but um, I think Bidnerick's definitely stood out for me in, in that kind of bunch. Uh, so I'd make a push for him for sure. Um, next up, Aaron Etovich, a good friend of the podcast, asks, um, which Oilers prospects would we target in a in a uh, trade with the Oilers if we were a GM? Uh, I think this is a very clear reference to Jake Allen talks. Um, or, yeah. or perhaps not Jake Allen talks. Last I read is that the Oilers are more interested in uh, in, in the two other goaltenders. Oh, really? In Montembeau and Primo, which is interesting. Interesting. For sure. I mean, yeah, we can talk about it a bit. I mean, I think the Oilers have two very clear candidates in the NHL um, yeah. in Philip Broberg and, and Dylan Holloway. I mean, those are the two main suspects, I'd say. Um, I don't think they'll be as as willing to get rid of Broberg. He's been fairly decent this year. Um, Dylan Holloway is another conversation. I don't think he's ever really translated all that well to the NHL and hasn't been working out so good for him so far. In the system, though, I can only really think of one player, and I think you're on the same page as me, and he's injured right now, so his stock yeah. is even lower than it should be. Uh, and that is Bo Akey, who they picked up in, I believe, the second round, third round in last year's draft? Second round. Second round. Second yeah. round. That's very good for him. I mean, yeah, Bo Akey's a, one of those players who I, I think I, I covered a whole lot in his draft year, and he's a player who 
his gap control is really good. His defensive skating is really good. His ability to to to, to get involved in transition defense is really solid. Um, he's got kind of those two-way elements. He reminded me a lot of Brett Kulak in his draft year. Um, I'd say that was a main comparative that always came to mind. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I'd be okay with with a uh, with a Bo Aiki for one of our goaltender swap. Would you? I mean, yeah, like Boeki's out for the season uh, on a really rough injury, but uh, yeah. which I'm sure decreases his stock a little bit here. But uh, he is the most interesting prospect in in Edmonton's pool. Like you could talk about Xavier Bogul, but he's kind of struggled at the AHL level. He's been pretty consistently half a point a game there. Uh, but yeah, Aki's yeah, my my favorite of the bunch here. But uh, I think Edmonton's prospect pool as a whole is a bit barren, so. They're going to have to get creative with their trade ships in any effort to get a goalie. Absolutely. One more name I'd throw in there would probably be uh, Raphael Lavoie, and I think that that's a, a pretty decent suspect for a trade with the Oilers in terms of the Montreal market. Um, he did pass through big, waivers a, like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, but you know, as a secondary piece, I think it's fairly interesting. He's at seven points of five games in the AHL right now. He's he, he's big. He plays really heavy. Um, you know. There's some offensive skill there. I don't think it's ever going to be kind of that top end offensive skill, but if you can have a Rafael Lavoie in your bottom six uh, for, you know, Samuel Montembeau in a pick, like I think that's a decent enough trade. Uh, and, and I think the Habs would be on board with that. Um, Carter Savoy might be in there, but he's really struggled at the AHL level. Um, and I don't think you should touch Luca Munzenberger with a with a with a ten foot stick. So that that's off the table. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that's kind of the the players I discuss in there, but I just realized the Oilers have Brady Stonehouse in their system. How would you feel about that? I mean, he, he just signed his contract like three weeks ago. You can't really trade a guy right <laughs> after giving him an ELC. But yeah. uh, I mean, look, Brady Stonehouse is one of my favorite players. Like I, I could talk about this kid for ages. I've watched his entire OHL career. Basically I watched mm-hmm. his first career game uh, and he is just the perfect projection as a, pain of a fourth liner to play against yeah. and uh i think that he's gonna fit in really nicely in edmonton to kind of provide not only some depth grit but some depth goal scoring as well he's <clears throat> he has a pretty good shot he constantly is buzzing around the crease uh he gets under the skin of opponents like no other ohler does in my I, I can't think of one that gets under the skin of opponents more than stonehouse does right now yeah. in the o but florian jack uh, <laughs> I don't know. He's more violent. Jack is more yeah. violent, but but Stonehouse is like an absolute pest, and mm-hmm. I, I think he was a great get for Edmonton. I, I I think that it might be a bit early for him to be in any trade talks, considering he was basically a free agent this summer. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, like like there there are a couple options. Like Edmonton has a collection of intriguing depth potential prospects, but I mean, especially if we are talking. I mean, indirectly about a potential trade to, to the Habs. Uh, bottom six depth really isn't what the Habs need the most right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's mainly top six talent, but you know, uh, it's just there's so much you can get. There's only so much you can get for for Samuel Montembeau. Uh But yeah, uh, that wraps things up for our second segment. We'll talk about some Habs prospects in our third segment. We've got a question about Lane Hudson and a question about David Reinbacher coming up on today's show. But first, a quick word from our sponsors here at Locked On NHL Prospects.
Alrighty, so moving on to our final segment, we'll talk about two Habs prospects. We've got some uh, questions that were sent in from our listeners on Twitter. If you don't follow us on Twitter, it's LO underscore NHL prospects. Uh, and you can send in your questions when we put out our mailbag tweets and uh, we'll feature them on the show. So feel free to do so as well. Um, so first and foremost, we'll start with the Lane Hudson question. I think that that's pretty much a, a straightforward one. Um Essentially, we had a question about Lane Hudson's projectability in terms of his goal-scoring game because he scores a lot pretty much every year. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I'd rather be a killjoy on Twitter asks, uh, Lane Hudson has scored several goals from range this season. This boosts his numbers and excites Habs fans dreaming of an elite player. Does his shot translate to the NHL, though? Does his shot project to be able to beat NHL goalies from a distance? Um, Do you want to take the lead on this one? Sure. I... I think I would disagree with the premise that his uh, his like <laughs> shooting from distance is what provides the value in his game. Yeah. Uh, there's so, so much to Lane Hudson's game, especially in the offensive zone, that does scream elite talent. And, well, yes, he scored a couple flub goals, that, not, not flub, but like a couple goals this season from the blue line that probably wouldn't beat NHL goaltenders. But he also has eight goals in 11 games, doesn't he? So that that isn't going to sustain itself throughout the season i i would assume unless like hey lynn hudson surprised me multiple times and that could happen again but always does uh, it can always happen but yeah. with lynn hudson in terms of especially his goal scoring game at the ntdp level he was very much a blue line shooter he would kind of go for one shoulder fake try to get around one uh, one forward and then kind of shoot from like the top of the circle on the left side yeah. uh and at the ncaa level what he's really integrated into his shooting game has been constantly asking the high slot he's constantly looking to get towards the middle of the ice not the not not like the mid and low slot obviously but yeah very much not a peripheral shooter anymore which he was yeah. in junior and uh, so i'm not very concerned in terms of his shot having to be at the level to beat goaltenders from the blue line because he's such a, a defenseman that activates consistently he gets pretty close to goaltenders where his shot doesn't have to be like Mike Hoffman's shot where he can score from like 40 feet away. He can do it from closer in. And I think that uh, his goal scoring game as a whole has really matured. It's one of the aspects of his game that's progressed the most since he was drafted. And uh, the quality of the shot is, is also a very, very good one, but it's the selection of the shot and the timing of the shot. And, uh, the angle changes on his release that really make it special. It's all the deception yeah. layers into his shooting game that makes it special rather than like the power or the technique of getting pucks through from the blue line. He's not yeah. going to be an Arbor Jack guy that's just loading off shots, like the controller broken from the blue yeah. line as the only play in the offensive zone. Hudson gets closer. He gets to places where he's not relying on his shot having to beat a goaltender. He's trying to use all of his plus level tools in combination to create advantages and to optimize the chances of the puck finding the back of the net. So yeah, I'm, I'm not overly concerned on that front personally. Yeah, for sure. I'd also add that a lot of the reasons why he's taking those shots is because the thing with Hudson is he not only mesmerizes opponents, he mesmerizes his own teammates to the point where they they'll just watch him go. And at the NHL level, he's going to have players moving in and out of spots, you know, going to the hash marks from behind the net, finding space in the offensive zone around him. Like, he's not going to have to rely on a shot exclusively in order to create offense. He's going to, you know, a lot of what Lane Hudson does is he does it with his head up. So he's constantly yeah. looking for options. But at the NCAA level right now with, with BU, 
unless unless it's Macklin Celebrini, I don't see a lot of players on this on, in this lineup that are moving in and out of spots, finding soft ice in the offensive zone when Hudson has the puck. Because when Hudson has a puck, he's deking one player, deking another way, shoulder faking, heading to the outside, and then he he the whole time his head's up and he's waiting for a teammate to get into the into the right spot for him to fake shot a pass right on his stick, and all he sees is just a bunch of heads turned towards him, and it's like. You know, he he wants, you know, at the NHL level, especially if he's playing with top six forwards in the Habs lineup, he's going to have a lot of that. So I feel like he's going to be relying even less on his shot as he as he climbs the ranks. And what's, what he's going to be relying on a lot more to, goal, to score goals, to score actual goals rather than just, you know, get some assists is offensive zone activation. He's going to be yeah. pushing down, you know, between checks and finding soft ice on the far side for a tap and that kind of stuff um, on top of having the game breaking skill to access the inside lane on his own with the puck um so i think that the issues with 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 the goals that hudson is scoring right now is more of a situational issue rather than um, a habit issue so as that situational issue dissolves um the the habits are going to change because hudson one thing hudson is, is is entirely adaptable he constantly okay. adapts to the players he's playing with so i don't think there's any concern there um, the main concern with me with Hudson is just is still the, the defensive skating. Like that still needs to come a decent way. And you know, he's gotten better physically, which is really good. Um, he's improved his ability to shrug off bigger opponents, to make plays inside contact. I, I saw him throw a big hit a couple games ago. Like he he's he's been adding things to his game that are really interesting. Um, but yeah, the defensive skating is still a concern, even though it's progressed very slightly. Um, I, I think it still needs to come a decent amount of ways before he's a is a is an above average defensive player in terms of his ability to catch up with players like Josh Anderson and and you know th- these big, strong, fast wingers. He's going to have trouble against those, and I don't think that's going away. I, I just think the risk is going to be mitigated a bit. Um, but that brings us to David Reinbacher. The- the recent fifth overall pick of the Montreal Canadiens, um, who was picked up out of EHC Cloten in the Swiss National League. He was returned on loan to the Swiss National League after signing his ELC. Um, and we got a question about him, mainly because there have been some struggles recently. So Connor Hill asks on Twitter, thoughts on David Reinbacher so far this season? It seems like things aren't going too well for Cloten as a whole. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's been rough viewings. I'm not going to lie. And it's not just the team overall it's also Reinbacher in isolation there have been some some concerns with decision making with uh, you know his his ability to get involved in transitions his ability to activate in the offensive zone which is one of my favorite things about Reinbacher is how confident he is in activating and he's just not as much um yeah. but also the the, de- the the defensive decisions have been like like honestly bad so yeah what's your thoughts on on this kind of this kind of progression for Ryan Bucker. Is it, is it just the injuries or other things going on? Like what's the issue here? It, it could be a combination of things, right? It could be yeah. nervousness. It could be the ad pressure of being a fifth overall pick and what comes with that. I've seen yeah. him <laughs> try to go end to end a couple times, uh, <laughs> handling the puck and he, his handling skill has not really improved since last year, which means that that's not really feasible against professional competition, even yeah. with the larger European ice surface, uh, that is difficult for Reinbacher to do. And I've seen him turn over the puck multiple times on trying to play with a type of flash that you would expect from a fifth overall pick. And uh, that's just not <laughs> conducive to success for Reinbacher's game. That's not what he does best. Yeah. And especially not when he hasn't improved the handling skill itself. But that that needs to take a couple steps before he can even try to play this style of, of hockey. But 
Yeah, I've, I've seen a player who <laughs> seems to be questioning his own style of play, and, uh, and 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 I've seen less violence in the defensive zone. I've seen more hesitation. I've seen him gripping his stick a bit too hard at times. And uh, yeah, it, it, it hasn't been a great start for him. It's been seven games as well. Like it's like seven games is a tiny sample start of season, and there was an injury in there and uh, there's a lot of factors to consider here. And it's way too early to make any sweeping judgments about his development or about the quality of the draft pick, uh, especially in terms of it being any different than uh, any analysis was this summer. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a tough start for Ron Parker. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It's been a bit interesting to kind of see develop, um, but I feel like there's there's so much time to turn things around with Ryan Bakker, and he's got he's got the smarts, he's got the defensive ability, and he's got the foundation of skills that he can fall back on and kind of work his way back up from the basics. So I don't think it'll be a, a very long-winded issue with Ryan Bakker. I think it's just a matter of time before he finds his footing again. But that wraps things up for today's show. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment letting us know what you want us to talk about next. And if you're listening on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to make us your first listen of the day. For the second listen of the day, make sure to check out Locked on Sports today they got all your news and updates about what's going on in sports and make sure to tune in for tomorrow's show as we continue our prospects coverage for the week this has been Hattie Kalakesh with Sebastian High and we hope you tune in next time